Now let me turn your attention now to the book of Hebrews. The very last chapter of Hebrews, if you're a guest with us today, we've been in Hebrews um, since January. We go through books of the Bible here at Hickory Grove and we're finishing up this book. This is the very last passage, uh, chapter 13, verse 17, really goes all the way to verse 25. But verse 23 and 24 and 25 are notes, specific directions. There's a benediction in verse 20 and 21 and a buildup from verse 17 forward. So let's, let's start reading in verse 17 and read over to verse 21. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 17, reading down to verse 21. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 17. <clears throat> Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as though who, who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I might be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you would help us. There are men and women that have walked in that are your children that are in need today. Just to be reminded. And so be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In some ways, I have dreaded this day. When I chose to go through Hebrews, I dreaded actually starting it because I thought it would be real hard, and it was. But in some regards, I've dreaded this day because for a year now, together we have wrestled through the complexities. We've unwrapped the mysteries of God found in the book of Hebrews. And you have been so patient with me. I struggled each week, and it was a struggle. I struggled each week to, to let this book and use this book to convince you that Jesus is better and he is worth your life and your all. We've stood together on the mountaintop of God's greatness, and we have we have seen his marvelous glories in Christ found in this book. What a way to end. Such a beautifully rich, especially verse 20 and 21, a beautifully rich benediction and, and blessing. And that's what I want for you. I, I want it to be a, a benefit. I want it to be a blessing to you. 
to, to, to strengthen your soul, to give a thickness, to give a thickness to your faith. We see who God is and, and what God does. You read it, you can feel the affection. This is a, a letter from a pastor to his people or, or a group of elders to their people, to a church. You can feel the affection the preacher has for his people in this, in this passage, especially in the build-up to verse 20 and 21. In fact, I want to just use the Bible. Let's just go there. Keep your Bible open and follow along. Verse 20 and 21, you, you have the, the, sort of the summit of this benediction, but there are stairs to climb to get up there. Verse 17, verse 18, and verse 19. So let's climb the stairs of those three verses and then stand on the summit of verse 20 and, and 21 for a little while. You see the request in verse 17? Look what, the, look what the pastor says in verse 17. He says, listen to your preachers. Some of you want to underline verse 17 for me, please. <laughs> Obey your leaders and submit to them, he says, because they have a responsibility, verse 17. The, the pastor has a responsibility. He's supposed to keep watch over the souls of his people. And if he's shepherding your soul with the word of God... If you'll just simply live your life in your context for Christ. I, I can attest to the truth of verse 17 in this passage. Of the great joy it brings me as a pastor of a local congregation called Hickory Grove Baptist Church. When I personally get to eyewitness, when I see it. When I experience Hickory Grove members that are growing in Christ and, and hungry for the word and taking up the mantle of discipleship. The, the personal encouragement it is to me to see students taking seriously what it means to, to know Christ and, and live for Christ, to see moms and dads taking it seriously, see fathers and wives and single people that are living their hard lives for the glory of God. That's what the preacher's saying. If you'll do that, it's an encouragement. Gives us great joy, verse 17. I can also attest to the groaning. Verse 17, he says, some, some things make me groan. Let them do this with joy, the pastors. Let them lead with joy, not with groaning, being hurt and watching as, as people walk away. When I, as the pastor of this church, a local congregation, I am going to give account to God. That's what this says. I give account to God one day. And there's a certain pain when you, you see people that you thought were believers walk away from the faith. Or, or have their faith shipwrecked. And you, it's so confusing because then you look back on, did she ever actually know Christ? As he's saying this in verse 17, he gets to verse 18, and he says, look, just pray for me. Do you see him saying that in verse 18? Just pray for us. Just in my own soul, I can echo this pastor saying this to his people. Pray for me. Pray for my life. Pray for my actions. 
Pray for my, for my own personal holiness. Pray that I actually will live in such a way that people will know I'm a Christian. 17, he, he, he talks to the church about them. In verse 18, he talks about himself. And after talking about the church and after talking about himself, he, he turns our eyes upward. And in verse 20 and 21, he calls down one of the most beautiful and theologically packed blessings found in the entire Bible. So I want to use that benediction, 20 and 21. I want to use this benediction, and I hope to convince you that God is for us, and we can trust him. I want you to know that God is for you, and you can trust him. Five of them, verse 20, there are five. So you have uh, five beautiful attributes of God in verse 20, then you have requests in verse 21. Verse 21 is the prayer, this is what we pray, but we pray based on the character of God found in verse 20. Let's take a look at the first one. Number one, when we talk about God, what do we say? Here's the first point. Number one, he is the God of peace. You see it there in your Bible, verse 20. What a, what a great and glorious and freeing and simple, even rudimentary truth. What does he say? Now may the God of peace. You know what you have right there? Just pause there. What you have right there is the great promise of the entire New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and over and over and over again, he calls God the God of peace and speaks of having the peace of God. Here's the great promise of the New Testament. Here is the hope for tomorrow. And the promise is this. God does not hate us. God does not stand to condemn. God is not out to get us. This entire book, the whole book of Hebrews, this entire book has been about Jesus Christ and the riches of what he has done for us at the cross. We can never get too far from the cross because because of Jesus, because of Jesus dying on the cross, God's disposition to you, if you are in Christ, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, God's disposition to those who are in Christ is one of, of love and one of reconciliation. It's one of satisfaction. It's one of him finding joy in you when you are in Christ. Look, here's the secret of Christianity. Here's the reason that we sing that in Christ, you see, in Christ, our God is a God of peace. Now, there's, there's wrath and judgment if you're not in Christ. But the promise in the letter is to believers, is to, to you, that when you're in Christ, our God is a God of peace. Isn't that what Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1? It's a beautiful verse. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through 
our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that? Do you have peace? Do you have peace with God through Christ? This is how we are able to love our enemies. This is how we're able to actually do good to people that hate us. This is how... This is how the martyrs were able to sing hymns as they were going to their executions. What does the peace of God do? The peace of God gives you the the will to survive. The, the, The peace of God gives you the ability to... If you have the peace of God, you can stand by a freshly dug grave and weep and cry to there are no more tears and yet still be okay because the peace of God is the ground under your feet. The peace of God makes it so that you can pray for children that have walked away from the faith and yet not be so devastated that you can't function. Gives you ground to stand on. The peace of God is the power of the indwelling Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that gives you great confidence even when you don't have any other reason to have confidence. The peace of God gives you the ability to wait. To wait. It's hard to wait. When you have the peace of God, you can wait. And the blessing he calls down in this passage in verse 20 is now may the God of peace. You can wait. Why? Because Jesus is better. What you have here is the absolute declaration that to live is Christ, to die is gain. What you have here is the cry of Job, even if God slays me, I will praise him. This is a promise. If if he is the God of peace and you have the peace of God, the promise is you can trust him. God is for us, we can trust him. Why? Because he's a God of peace. Let me give you something else. Let's pick it up. Let's pick up the pace just a little bit. There's several things in verse 20. Here's the second thing. Number two. He is the God who forgives, forgives. The God who forgives. It's a great reminder for us. You need to see it. Be reminded that Hebrews is about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, how he now has replaced the Old Testament sacrificial system that has gone away. That system there was nothing more than pointing to the coming Savior. Now he's here. Okay, sit up and take note. As God solves the worst problem you ever had. Verse 20. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Who brought again from the dead. This is the first time in the entire letter he's brought up the resurrection. The whole book of Hebrews is about the sacrifice of Jesus, the one-time perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And now as he closes out his letter, he brings to the forefront the doctrine of the resurrection. This benediction shows us the centrality of the resurrection Here is the foundation of our faith, brothers and sisters. Here is the reason we hope. Here is the guarantee of forgiveness. Here is the doctrine that gives us a day. Why did you get up when the rain's falling 
on a Sunday morning when you got it off and come to church, right here's why. It's the God that forgives. The preacher now waits to the very end of his letter to bring forth the joy of the resurrection. Now, the resurrection gives us several things. The whole doctrine, we don't have time to go into all of that. But the resurrection does several things for us. It, it pinpoints. The resurrection brings back into forefront the, the crucifixion. The resurrection presupposes the crucifixion. To have someone being raised from the dead, they had to be dead. He's talking about Jesus Christ who died on the cross. So the resurrection presupposes the crucifixion. That Jesus Christ died as a one-time perfect sacrifice in the place of sinners. This is our hope. We are terrible sinners. Christ took the punishment for us. God raised him from the dead. This resurrection in verse 20 gives us, gives us back the centrality of the cross. The resurrection presupposes the crucifixion. Let me give something else to verse 20. The resurrection means an accepted sacrifice. An accepted sacrifice. What that means is God has accepted Jesus and his payment on our behalf. This is important. The resurrection lets us know that the crucifixion worked. Three people died on crosses that day. One was raised from the dead. That one gives us the promise that it worked. That there is nothing else for you to do to actually have peace with God. The great simplicity of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has done it. That the work is finished in Christ. The resurrection means this accepted sacrifice. What else does it mean? Well, the resurrection gives us a the resurrection gives us a people. As different as we all are in this room. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Purchased at the cross. Made whole at the resurrection. We gather together on the Lord's day to celebrate God's forgiveness given to us in Jesus and to worship the resurrected Jesus on the Lord's day. Let me give you something else the resurrection does. The resurrection gives us graveyard hope. Graveyard. You don't like the word graveyard? Put cemetery. Resurrection gives us graveyard hope. Terrible helicopter crash last Tuesday with a meteorologist. You probably have seen that from WBTV. The... Um, the memorial service was Saturday. Jason Meyer's wife, <clears throat> they both were strong believers with the Mercy Church, and she, she gives such a beautiful piece of God testimony. Somebody you love so much is gone. You can stand there the peace of God because you will see him again. 
The resurrection promises that for us. Do you have that? Do you have that promise and peace? Do you see God as the God who forgives? Have you thought about this forgiveness in your own heart and life? Have you asked God to forgive you based on the crucifixion and the resurrection? Have you found hope there? The empty tune reminds us that God is for us and He can be trusted. He's a God of peace. <clears throat> He's a God of forgiveness. I'm going to give you a third thing to consider. In verse 20, He is the God who claims. The God who claims. The God who walks in and claims. You get off the airplane, you go to where the luggage is, and it goes around and around. I see my bag. I walk over and get it because it's mine. I claim it. I'm sure what I mean in the passage here is tucked away in verse 20. It's right there in verse 20. I just have to read and find it. Uh, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our, see it? Our Lord Jesus. What a great phrase. Our Lord Jesus. To get a grasp on the phrase our Lord Jesus, I'd like to start at the back of that phrase and just work backward. Our Lord Jesus. Jesus, let's start with the name Jesus, a real man. Jesus. The second Adam, Jesus. The first Adam, created in the image of God, fell into sin and all of humankind with the first Adam. Therefore, there had to be a second Adam to get it right. The second Adam, Jesus, lived as a man in the place of men and women. <clears throat> and then, as a sacrifice, died Four sinners died in the place of sinners as a substitute, taking the wrath of God. This is the gospel. Jesus takes the wrath of God away, and he has purchased his people and claims us. Do you claim Jesus as your substitute? Have you put your faith not in trying to be like Jesus, but believing Jesus died for you? Here's our hope. Here's the phrase, our Lord Jesus there's the word Jesus. Let's back up and see the word Lord, Lord, rule, Lord, to own. To be Lord is to be sovereign. When you're Lord, you have all the rights over everything you own. You know what this speaks to? This speaks to the rights that Jesus has on all parts of your life, every bit of it, your life. Here it is, this this joyful submission to the rule of Christ. <clears throat> you, you, you know, the genuine salvation, genuine salvation submits to and trusts the lordship of Christ. Someone might say to me, are you preaching lordship salvation? I would only answer, there is no other kind. There's no other kind of salvation. The Bible says Jesus is Lord, and when he saves you, he becomes your Lord. Our Lord Jesus. Jesus, Lord, what about our? The great word our is put in there. <clears throat> our Lord Jesus. It's possessive, and it's possessive and collective. Possessive and collective. It is possessive in that you have put our, your personal faith in Jesus, that you belong to him, he belongs to you, it is yours. 
He brings in the congregation and said, this is our Lord Jesus. It is not just possessive, it is collective. We are a family. We are bound together by a fellowship. You don't do Christianity by yourself. We are connected to one another, caring for one another. That God has purchased you at the cross of Jesus. He has claimed you as his own. And our response is our Lord Jesus. He's the God who claims. Let me give you something else you'll find in the passage in verse 20. Number four, he is the God who cares, who cares. It's good to know God cares. It's important in a fellowship to know that other people care. You wonder sometimes, do people care? This passage reminds us that he is the God who cares. I, I told you this was packed now. Go back with me to verse 20. <clears throat> the, the benediction is this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, look at the title, the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep. Now sometimes preachers want to go off and talk about sheep and how dumb sheep are. We are called sheep and go into this exposition about sheep and how much they need and what they eat, where they go. I think the emphasis is not on the sheep. I think the emphasis is on the shepherd. You read the Bible from the 23rd Psalm to John chapter 10 to 1 Peter chapter 2. We are reminded that, that Jesus cares for his people like a shepherd does his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me do what? Lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. The shepherd restores my soul. A.W. Pink, when he looked at this, A.W. Pink talked about Jesus as a shepherd. He gave him three distinct titles, found them in the Bible. A.W. Pink says that he is the good shepherd in death, in John chapter 10. He is the great shepherd in the resurrection, in Hebrews chapter 13. He is the chief shepherd in glory in 1 Peter 5. He's the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. He is the great shepherd, like this book has told us, that he is the great high priest. What does a good shepherd do? <clears throat> the good shepherd fights off wolves, throws out goats, and leads sheep. All of those are found in the Bible. Sometimes at church there are wolves that show up and need to be thrown out. There are goats that show up and they have to be escorted out. But sheep, Jesus says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. One of the great truths of being a Christian is Christ as Savior and Shepherd. He provides and he heals and he protects and he is patient and he guides. Truth is that God is for us. We can trust him. He's the God of peace. He is the God who forgives. He is the God who claims. He is the God who cares. I'll give you a fifth one. Number five, he is the God who keeps his promise. You find it there in verse 20. 
Let's just go through the whole thing. Verse 20. Now by the God of peace who brought, to get, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. How did he do it? By the blood of the eternal covenant. Here the preacher takes us, about, takes us back once again to the cross. What happened at the cross? This is where Christianity must be centered. What is the eternal covenant? What is the promise made there in blood? What is the blood of the eternal covenant? We'll give you in, just in simple language, brief and simple language. At the cross, Jesus died in the place of sinners. That death in the place of sinners is a one-time satisfactory sacrifice that forever makes peace with God and the promise is found there. For every person who will repent and believe, that covenant is made for you. There is a covenant of grace that is established in the blood of Jesus. And that covenant is yours through faith. Now these are attributes, all of them, all five of the attributes in verse 20 tell us that God is for us. And then in verse 21, he looks away from God and he looks to us. He looks to you. Based on all that you've heard, Point number six, you need to ask God to help you and heal you. Ask God to help you and heal you. Let me, see how, let me show you how I get this. Look at it with me, verse 20 and 21. So now may the God of peace, now pause there. He goes on to talk about the God of peace and gives lots of adjectives in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, but then he has a request in verse 21. Drop down to verse 21. May the God of peace equip you with everything good so that you can do his will. Equip you. I just, only a couple of things I want to point out. Equip. See the word equip? The word equip. That, that word describes uh, what soldiers are doing as they're putting all their stuff together, getting their guns, their helmets, and, or, or, so, or getting their swords and their spears. Before they go off to war, they need to be equipped. That's what that word. Or it, it, can, it can be used to describe what sailors are doing before they go on a long journey. They are provisioning the ship, getting everything in that so they are prepared, equipped. A lot of times in the Bible, this is used uh, for to describe what a doctor does. If you go in, you have a broken leg, and you can't walk on it. So what that doctor does is he sets the leg, makes it so that it will heal and actually be, be able to be walked on. That The word equip, it's uh, used to describe what the fishermen have after using nets for some time and they start to tear and they're not useful anymore and a fisherman mending his nets. He's asking, may the Lord restore you back to your original condition so that you can do and live like you're supposed to. 
You are created for the glory of God, to live for the glory of God. We've been torn and hurt and broken. And the promise of the gospel is that, that God will equip and bring back together and restore so that through Jesus Christ, that's verse 21, so that through Jesus Christ you can live for the glory of God. And in verse 21, the preacher brings up doing God's will. In the last verse, he's praying that God would equip you so that you can do God's will, that God will mend his people so that they can live out God's will. Listen, God's will, the will of God, isn't something to know as much as it is something to do. The will of God isn't something to know as much as it is something to do. We already know what to do. The Bible has given that to us. What is the will of God? It is your sanctification. So, so let's see if I can bring the whole series down with a question. What do you need? What do you need for you to do God's will? What needs to happen? What needs to change? What needs to stop? Verse 21 is a prayer of sorts. It's a prayer for the enabling power of God to work, to give strength so that you can resist, to give you strength so that you can, you can persevere, so that you can take appropriate steps, so that you can break the cycle that you've been in or your family has been in, so that you, by God's grace, can institute change so that you can find the willpower, so that you can muster the courage, so that you can create a plan and then execute that plan and do so for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God, God is for us, and you can trust Him. He's the God of peace, He's a God who forgives. He is a God who claims you're His. He's the God who cares as a shepherd. He's the God, He's the God who keeps His promise. Will you ask Him to help you? If you will, He will. And now, May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good so that you can do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that you help your people.
and draw them close? Would you mend brokenness? Father, you put this word in here, the word equip. Would you bring back together? Would you restore? Would you wipe away dark clouds? Make it so that we can live your will. So equip us, Lord. Father, I pray for those that have wandered in today and have heard the gospel in several forms. God, would you take that seed of the gospel and awaken their hearts to believe it? Pray for wounded brothers and sisters today. That you would take this word and begin healing. Thank you that we can worship on the Lord today. We ask you to hear our song. We sing to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?